Welcome, everybody, to the Kona Shane Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, I got a great episode for you today. I am here with Ken Yagi. Ken Yagi is um, so many things. He is he's an icon uh, in the veterinary technician world. He is also the chief veterinary nursing officer of Veg. He's the former past president, uh, former past president. He's the past president of NAVDA and the North American Vet Tech Association, a bunch of other things I talk about when he comes onto the show. Anyway, I'm talking to him about a new program in Washington state uh, that is unaccredited, uh, that still funnels people into the technician licensing exam. And I'm like, what is up with that? And how does that work? And so we start talking about what an unaccredited te- unaccredited technician program looks like. And then we talk about the uh, quagmire that is his credentialing and how it's wildly different. There's no standardization and what what kind of headaches that causes and how we get out of that. And the last thing we end up sort of is talking about the very end is uh is uh if you if you want to use technicians differently in your practice, say you want to try to really leverage them, but you don't know how to go forward with that. How do you do that? And I like that question because I ask Ken and you give a very nice, succinct answer. And then I answered my own question after that. So if you want to hear what I think, I just I share that with Ken, even though he didn't ask at the end of the episode. And that's how this episode goes. Anyway, I think it's I think it's really fun. I think it's really interesting. I am really thinking a lot about technician utilization as I look at our profession, which is wildly rapidly changing with telemedicine, with corporate acquisition, with um, with pet owners wanting service and they can't get into clinics, uh, our, our capacity to see pets. Uh, all of these things are big deals. And I think technicians are a big part of all of them. And so technicians are a big piece. I don't think people realize how important technicians are going to be in our profession, our livelihood in the next five years. And that that's what I think. And so I really dig into that with Ken. Guys, I hope you'll enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. Let's get into this episode. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, Ken Yagi. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. Uh, for those who don't know you, you have a laundry list of accolades. You are uh, you are a veterinary technician. You are a veterinary technician specialist in emergency and critical care and internal medicine. You were the past president of NAVTA, which is the North American Veterinary Technician Association. You are the current chief of veterinary nursing officer, chief of veterinary nursing officer, Uh at Veg, the Veterinary Emergency Group. So you uh, you do a lot. You are a huge voice for veterinary technicians, and um, and you have been involved in our profession in so many ways. And I wanted to reach out and talk to you today about a big mess, like a big mess that I think is having real effects in our profession right now and is going to have effects in our profession going forward. And that is the technician credentialing mess. And so what I what I want to talk to you is about what the heck is going on with credentialing of veterinary technicians? Like how do we get into this quagmire? And and do you see a path out? And so to provide some color to kind of what I'm talking about is, you know, it's been it's been this case for a while that we've had, you know, different states have different practice acts that allow technicians to do different things. And some states have protections for credentialed technicians or licensed technicians that says you must be a licensed technician to do these things. Other states don't have that at all. And so 
you, there's real sometimes question to the benefit of getting licensed if other people can just do your job and there's no protections for, for you and things like that. And, and that's, that's been the case for a while and that's been a frustration. But then I'm looking around and the state of Washington actually just had a, um, they just approved sort of this controversial veterinary technician apprenticeship program that basically goes around accreditation. It's not accredited and it sets, it's a print, it's an apprenticeship which sets people up to take the technician's licensing examination. And you go, well, that's that's not, that doesn't seem right to have a non-accredited program that kind of goes around our formal education structure, but ends up at the same examination. But I see it happening. And so anyway, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking a lot about the future for technicians. I'm thinking a lot about the capacity of vet medicine, how we handle pet owners who want to get care. And I'm very optimistic about technicians in that way. But boy, the um, the the mess about credentialing and 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 what we're able to do and 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 the lack of standardization, it really, in my mind, is holding us back from leveraging our technicians in any sort of a uniform way. And so anyway, I, I, that's a lot to kind of lay on you. let me let me just sort of pause there for a second and say, of everything I kind of laid out, do you do you agree with that assessment, or am I or am I off base? No, I think that the, the profession has definitely come a long way, but you're right that there's still a lot of work to be done before the credentials amongst all states are "quote unquote" standardized. And I think yeah. there's different things that we need to look at regarding that. I think you um, mentioned licensing in the sense of different kind of credential titles being out there. Um, the standards in terms of becoming credentialed should have been set pretty well amongst all states in that, that it requires an AVMA accredited program degree, passing the national examination called the VTNE, and becoming um, registered, licensed, or certified by either state governing bodies or private organizations that issue certifications to become a credentialed veterinary technician. But then there's the other pieces that you're talking about. Uh, what does title protection look like? Who can call themselves veterinary technician? What does the scope of practice look like? Who can do what within the state? And do they need to be licensed in order to do so? Um, and all of those pieces could be slightly different depending on the state that you're in, which makes it hard for people to know what a veterinary technician actually looks like. And so sure. in that sense, it's uh, still a mess. <laughs> well, it, it's it's frustrating for me. You know, I... I I've work a lot in practice efficiency and running and running good teams and, and highly leveraging support staff. But speaking at a national and international level, as I do, it's really hard when what people can do in different states is so wildly different. I mean, I have, you know, I have, I have some states that have no guidance or, or, or no empowerment of technicians laid out. And then I've got other practices in, in like in the state of Washington where you can have uh, technicians that are indirectly supervised by veterinarians and they're, they're, they're using technicians basically in buildings by themselves and the doctors are coming in doing telemedicine appointments with the technicians and like, and that's, it's, it's all clear and, and above board, but that's how it's set up in Washington. But that doesn't, I don't know that that moves to other states. It's not something that you can say, well, we could do this here or there, but, um, I just use that as an example of, of the variability I see in how technicians can be used. Yeah, I think um, when it comes to the scope of practice, the basic thing we can say is things like um, diagnosing, uh, providing a prognosis, prescribing treatment, and surgery is restricted to licensed veterinarians. And then everything else in veterinary medicine can be delegated to non-veterinarian employees. And so depending yeah. on the state, that needs to be a credentialed veterinary technician. 
uh, and depending on states, it could be anyone. And that's the kind of the, the issue that we have. Um, I think uh, when you mention things like uh, indirect supervision, there's different levels of supervision that people need to have in order to provide certain things. Obviously, the higher risk tasks like um, surgical assisting, actually having like scrubbing in and having your hand in the abdomen and things like that needs to be immediate supervision that the veterinarian needs to be right there in order to do so. While something like a blood job could be done with indirect supervision where they um, you know, might be somewhere within the uh, facility or not even on the facility. And that's that's uh, all different and varied within each of the states. And it's moving towards standardization in that uh, the AAVSB recently put out a model regulation for uh, veterinary technician and technologist scope of practice to outline what they should be able to do based on the level of uh, supervision that they have. And so that's like the goal that every state should be aiming towards to try to standardize. But uh, even then, there's different opinions within each of the states. When you have 50 different groups of people trying to form an opinion, it's hard to come to a standard. Stepping back to this Washington program, and so you said, you know, in order to be a credentialed technician, you need an AVMA accredited program. But this is not an AVMA accredited program, right? They do take the veterinary technician national examination uh, and they do a state licensing test, but it's not an accredited program. And so are these, are are these credentialed technicians or are they going to be some sort of credentialed assistant? Uh, I mean, and, and I don't know, I, I'm just I'm just looking at this and they're trying to get my head around and say, what does this mean? Are these people going to get kind of streamlined into the technician pipeline or are they going to not get streamlined? And this is going to be a thing of like, well, you've kind of got this weird other certification that's not exactly credentialing. Uh, where does where does that go? Is, does that add to, to to the disruption, or is that going to kind of flow into what we're already doing? Yeah, so it's a little bit complicated because um, it's not a separate certification that we're talking about. Uh, the um, actually, let me step back a second and and say that um, the process is still ongoing. That they got provisional approval at the moment, but there's an appeal process that uh, people like Ashley Byrne, Ryan Frazier from Washington State Vet Tech Association. Um, Ed Carlson, Ashley Selfie from the uh, National Association of Vet Techs in America, they're uh, very much advocating for us along with the Washington State VMA and the AVMA in order to try to reverse this um, approval. And uh, But um, the approval, provisional approval, was that when people go through this apprenticeship program, they will actually be uh, licensed veterinary technicians in the state of Washington. And so the credential is the same. Uh, and so they're being approved to do the same thing that, that people who have gone through the official accredited educational pathway uh, would also uh, have. Um, now, with that said, uh, it's a little bit um, different because this is what's considered a alternate route uh, of becoming yeah. credentialed uh, that some states still have um, that uh, allows people who don't go through the standard AVMA accredited program degree uh, educational program and passing the national examination to become the um, credential technician in that particular state. So uh, what does that mean? Well, I think it does mean that uh, their education level is going to be slightly different. So they're trying to meet that standard in a different kind of way. And so depending on how this apprenticeship program is set up and what their training process looks like and what the education that they get is, you would have two different kinds of people. And uh, yeah. it's hard for us to make a judgment call on whether this program that's being set up is going to be appropriate to create effective people who can safely practice um, as a veterinary technician or not. Uh, I think that's uh, you know something that uh, uh, 
somebody with expertise in taking a look at what a apprenticeship program would look like could tell us a little bit more about. But with that said, it's not, uh, it didn't go through the AVMA accreditation process because it utilized the state's apprenticeship program uh, approval process, which uh, turned it into a little bit of a, uh, a slight um, uh, loophole that the state could use in order to create this pathway. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of people exploiting a lot of different loopholes right now in regard to medicine in general, but, but definitely to technicians. And I don't mean that in a cynical way. I think it's because there's a ton of money pouring into vet medicine right now. Like I just went to the VMX conference and guys, our profession is fundamentally changing. Like the ground under our feet is breaking and shifting and it's never going back. And it's just the amount of outside interest in what we do and the amount of outside money coming in is just absolutely huge. And so I feel like when people look at our profession and you see outside interest, whether it's private equity or uh, online retailers or things like that coming in, they look at our profession and they go, okay, well, um, we're going to make this work. And there's not enough doctors to meet uh, to meet demand or they're not located in the right places. We're not distributed correctly to meet demand. And we have technicians and technicians are woefully underpaid and they want to do more things. The answer here is technicians, uh, we're going to change the way we use technicians to get this work done. And I see, I see a lot of leverage behind those dollars. Uh, you know, they have, they have the people, uh, who are pushing all this stuff have real resources and they're not interested in hearing about credentialing or how things have always been done. They're interested in, in, in the outcome. And so I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, it's almost like stress testing the system in a lot of ways. And, uh, and so I, I just kind of look at that when, when you hear me say this and say, you know, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing a lot of influence and, and a lot of, a lot of forces who have their own sort of agenda and a lot of resources to back their agenda up. When you see them coming in, do you see the way that technicians are used changing radically right now? Or, or do you think that I'm kind of making that up? No, you're definitely not making it up, right? Because uh, there's different kinds of practice models that are coming in, um, different uh, veterinary businesses that are being stood up, and all of them are going to need staff. And so it really stems back to the shortage that we have. Uh, and how do we fill that shortage with people that can provide the care that uh, we need them to provide? And um, so uh, just um, taking uh, advocate stance on this uh, with that, I would say that uh, if there is a if there is a there is a veterinary technician shortage right now, the solution to that is to really elevate the profession. So yeah, what no does doubt. that mean? Uh, if to if we want to have uh, more technicians who can do the work that uh, they can do, then make sure that. Uh, they are clearly distinguished for having that credential and feel valued in that so they don't leave the field that we should pay them differently because of their credential that they should be utilized yeah. for the education that they have. and that's the way to do it to keep them in the field that we have enough and more people wanting to come into the field so that we don't have that shortage uh, i think that feels like a long-term solution because it takes a little bit of time to get that kind of thing happening all over the place that sure. people recognize this as that they want to come into um, and so then maybe that's where your point comes in, where if there are, um, companies who are, uh, hospitals that are trying to fill the shortage with capable people going the route of on the job training, showing them how to do the procedures, perform the tasks and be able to do them 
more mechanical side of it without having the complete education behind it seems attractive because then you can get more people through to get become credentialed. Um, I think that's the wrong way to go. Uh, and I'll be clear about that, uh, okay. that uh, I think that the education and people knowing the um, the why we're doing things behind the yeah. how and what we're doing is definitely important and that uh, we shouldn't deviate from that. Uh, but yeah. the solution to that really should be, how do we get more people through the educational process? I was looking at the apprenticeship program. It's a three-year experience program. So it's going to take uh, just yeah. as long as before to get people through uh, this program than uh, the traditional education pathway. So it seems like it would be much more productive and better for the profession if we can get people through the uh, educational pathway instead and provide yeah. the resources to do that. Yeah, I, don't get me wrong. I, I completely agree. I was looking at it as well. I mean, it's, it's like 6,600 on-the-job hours and um, and uh, and three years. Yeah. And like, it's not, it's, don't, it's not a send us your money and we'll mail you a certificate. It is definitely not that. It, it definitely looks like it's got some some bones to it. And so anyway, that, that's kind of why I, why I want to talk to you about it was just to say, I'm looking at this and it doesn't look illegitimate as far as what it is, what they say that they're going to do. Um, I was just kind of, kind of trying to tease apart what does accreditation mean and what does it mean when the AVMA says, we're not going to accredit it and people are like, we're doing it anyway. And then they, and then they go on. I, so I can add to that. Um, that yeah, please. What does it mean? that's a little bit different is that uh, these people don't have an educational degree. So if they wanted to move on to have a bachelor's degree in some kind of science related degree or veterinary technology, they won't be able to make that next step because they don't have that associate's degree. Right. Um, it also means that because it's a non-standard pathway that they got credentialed in, if they decided to move to a different state and try to be credentialed in that state, they may not qualify. So they may not right. be able to practice in the um, the way that they had been in the previous state. And so it really, um, I think, is a little bit more just to meet the needs of the hospital more so than trying to provide an opportunity for the people to continue growing and having a lifelong career. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Hey guys, I just want to hop in really quick and give a quick plug. The Uncharted Veterinary Conference is coming in April. Guys, I founded the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in 2017. It is a one-of-a-kind conference. It is all about business. It is about internal communications, working effectively inside your practice if you're a leader. That means you can be a medical director. It means you can be an associate vet who really wants to work well with your technicians. It means you can be a head technician, a head CSR. You can be practice owner, practice manager, multi-site manager multi-site uh, medical director. We work with a lot of those people. This is all about building systems, setting expectations to work effectively with your people. Guys, Uncharted is a peer mentorship conference. That means that we come together and there is a lot of discussion. We create a significant percentage of the uh, schedule, the agenda at the event, which means we're going to talk about the things that you are interested in. Uh, it is, always, as I said, business communication focused, but uh, lots of freedom inside that to make sure that you get to talk about what you want to talk about. We really prioritize people being able to have one-on-one -on -one conversations, to pick people's brains, to get advice from people who have wrestled with the problems that they are currently wrestled with. We make all that stuff happen. If you want to come to a conference where you do not sit and get lectured at, but you work on your own practice, your own challenges, your own growth and development. That's what Uncharted is. Take a chance. Give us, uh, give us a look. Come and check it out. It is in April. I'll put a link in the show notes for registration. Um, ask anybody who's been. It's something special. All right, let's get back into this episode. You know, I, the point you made earlier that I want to circle back to that I think is really, really great, and I think is really, really true, and people should know is 
Um, you know, I have a friend who uh, is Mel- Melissa Intrekin, who I know you know. Uh, she's she's amazing. She's a passionate educator, uh, a die die hard technician advocate and technician herself. And she teaches at the technician program near me. And um, so I, I was talking to her, and we were talking about when people are considering the technician program, they come in and they talk to her about going into veterinary technology. And she shows them the numbers, and she says, "This is what your average credential technician makes." And these are what the other programs we have at this school make. And she's like, they see the uh, echo, you know, echocardiology technician, which is basically the same length program. And it's five times more money, you know, and she's like, we just, we just lose a huge percentage of them because they go, oh, I can do this or I can do that. And it's not like you're saying, oh, it's $5,000 difference a year. It's like, no, it's, it's more than double. The salary is more than double. If you go into these other things that you're qualified for, you have a science background, you have an interest in physiology, medicine, things like that. Like you're kind of already leaning in that direction. And, uh, and she says, you know, it's no wonder we have, we have a hard time, you know, filling technician school classes and things. And I I think she's right. And I think that that's kind of what you're speaking to. And so, so let me, let me push you on this a little bit. And I want you to look into your crystal ball in five years from now, what do you think is different, Ken? as far as technicians and how they work that is helping us move in that direction there's a lot of focus on technician utilization right now and i think that uh, we're starting to realize that the fact that we're losing people has a lot to do with people not feeling fulfilled in their career which means that if they go through the schooling and they have a certain thought in their mind about how they're going to function and they're not being able to do the work that makes them feel meaning in their work uh, is what's leading to people leaving. So five years from now, hopefully all the concerted effort that's going on right now is going to be fruitful, that people in this field are going to learn how to utilize technicians better and will be utilized to the fullest extent, and more people are going to be happy. Um, We're uh, doing things over here um, that's called advanced practice veterinary nursing, which is at the the highest level that we could have a uh, credential technician, uh, veterinary nurses here uh, function, being able to take part in the physical examination process, that they would make recommendations for treatments. And um, they make, uh, uh, while they perform the treatments, there's a lot more advanced procedures that they could do on their own without uh, feeling restricted by um, what's normal for them to do, those kinds of things will start happening where we start valuing the people who are very well educated, they're very well experienced, combining the two to function in the way that we think they should be able to function. And I definitely hope that, uh, you know, um, I think there's uh, certainly debates about uh, whether we should be called veterinary nurses or veterinary technicians, but um, I do do hope that uh, we start to make the mindset shift that uh, we are definitely in nursing in that it's not just the science and technology that, that we handle, but it's about the patient, it's about the families, the um, take, thinking about respecting all of them and preserving their dignity through the, yeah. our care. That right. Well, you know, there's, there's two pieces to opportunity for technicians, I think. There is, there must be a perceived value of technicians from inside of our profession, meaning the doctors need to allow the technicians to take work off their plate. Like the doctors need to recognize the value of technicians and say, this is not a competitor for the spotlight. 
this is my friend. This is my colleague. This is my, my teammate and lean into that. And so that has to happen for technician welfare to really improve. And I think that fixed a lot of things that, that sort of internal perception of, um, drives, drives the ability to, to pay people. It, but it also, and let's be honest, I think a lot of times we talk about pay for technicians and pay for technicians and pay for technicians. And that is piece of it. However, when I talk to technicians, yeah, pay is part of it, but I think a, at least as big a part is autonomy. It's feeling empowered to be able to do work and to be involved and to make your own decisions and feel like you are having input and you're not just an automaton waiting to be told what to do. That sucks. That's not a, that's not a career that educated and motivated people want to have. And honestly, I see, I see at least as many techs leaving the profession because they feel like they've topped out meaning there's not more for them to do than, than the money. And I think the money is a constant drag of, hey, not only do I feel like I've topped out, but also I've topped out and I, I'm having a hard time paying my, my bills. And I think that's a dark place to be. And I think that that's why we're losing tax at five years and seven years on average or whatever, whatever the number actually is. So, so I, I think that that's totally true. The other part of this, besides the internal perception of value, is the external perception of value, which means in order for pet owners to pay for technician appointments, for technician services, for uh, to be for them to be willing to talk with the technician instead of the doctor, there has to be perceived value on the part of the pet owner. And so, um, you know, when we talk about about how we present our technicians, when we talk about what do we call our, our technicians, technicians or nurses, I think that there's great value in in using language that gets pet owners to see the value in the technicians, and, and they. I think it's a worthy goal to say we're going to educate them about what our technicians do. I think a whole lot easier path is to try to use language that they already understand and see value in. And I understand that people don't like the term vet nurse, and I get it, and I'm not trying to argue with anybody. It's just that I, I go, okay, well, here's here's the benefit. Regardless of how we do it, we have to get pet owners to see value in our technicians and not hold on to the old view of, I want to talk to the doctor. And you say, no, you don't need to talk to the doctor. Quite honestly, you, you have a very competent person who is available and ready to talk to you, and it's not me. Uh, and and I think I think we have to kind of do that internal sales job and that external sales job. Uh, when you talk about, um, we talk about you know increased opportunities and things like that for technicians going forward. Do you see more people, or do you see driving factors in this being the technician specialties? Right? Do you see more people doing VTS uh, degrees? in um or, or certifications in um in advanced areas do you see things like the master's program at lmu starting to play a role in this advanced uh practicing or do you see an elevation of your classic credential technician or, or a mixture of those things help, help me get my head around what this elevation continued ele elevation looks like yeah so is there more interest in BTS certification? Yes, definitely each year. Um, and I know the most about the ECC uh, Academy side, but uh, each time the number of applicant grows, each time the number of examinee grows. And uh, depending on the year, the passing rate for the exam might be lower or higher depending on how uh, people did. But with that said, we're having more and more BTSs out there that have a uh, heightened sense of awareness of uh, what they should be doing. Like when you say working with autonomy and being empowered to do all the advanced uh, you know, procedures um, and making their own judgments uh, based on their thought process. I think that um, the VTS certification process is particularly strong in people having the knowledge and being able to 
perform the procedures that relate to the specialty area. What I think is still variable is among that, how much clinical decision-making ability do they come with and through their experience do they gain? And I think that's where the um, master's degree uh, type educational pathway would be very helpful is that uh, if we're very good with the technical skills and the nursing procedures, but we need more clinical judgment skills, then that's where the master's degree could probably fill in. Yeah. And I, that's what it's really tailored to do. Yes, there's conversations about whether there should be a nurse practitioner-like role or physician's assistant-like role in veterinary medicine right now. And I know that the LMU uh, degree is uh, preparing people for something like that to happen. Um, and that's uh, part of the intent. But uh, even without that happening, um, people going through that master's degree, I would uh, think that comes out with um, better clinical judgment skills that makes them better partners for care with the veterinarians. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I wanted to mention uh, about the previous comment that you made about autonomy and empowering, uh, I think one of the articles that talked about this Washington State uh, program even used the term veterinary technicians are the right hands of veterinarians. Yeah. And I kind of look at that the, that kind of description and say, that's not true. <laughs> we're, we're like, you know, uh, equal peers. We're professionals uh, in our own right that we have people who practice veterinary medicine and we have people yeah. who practice veterinary nursing or technology, whichever term you want to use. And so then we really need to change our mindset in veterinary medicine as a whole as well of what kind of a professional we actually are. I, I like that a lot. Um, if you are a doctor listening to this and you are just in regular general practice and you're looking around and you have some credential techs that work with you and things, and you said, I, I want to work more collaboratively with my technicians, or I want to, I want my practice to be uh, a place that has some upward mobility for my technicians, or I really want to leverage my technicians and, and get a lot out of them and also give them a rewarding sort of path to follow. Uh, but I don't know where to get started or even what this looks like. How do you advise people, Ken? Like people who say, I don't, I only know the way that I was kind of raised in the profession, but I, but I want to, but I want to, I want to, I want to see what the future might look like, or I want to, I want to. I want to embrace technicians as, as sort of, um, as colleagues, as, as teammates, sort of, as you said, I don't know where to start. How would you advise people? I think that's one of the things that we're all, um, trying to figure out how to change the culture of veterinary medicine. There's, uh, definitely conversations about if there were more veterinary and veterinary technology or nursing programs that were housed in the same campus and they learned side by side, would they have uh, much better collaborative relationship to start out. And we have to start from the people coming into the field um, in order to truly change the, um, the culture. Um, but uh, just in, uh, I think just even asking that question uh, to the people who are in the practice would be a really good, great place, place to start. Uh, because who would be the best to give you more information about um, how we can work better uh, together? probably the people that you work with. and um, But there are definitely uh, a lot of resources that uh, are out there that uh, people who are out in um, the conference circuit talking about team-based veterinary care, um, how do you utilize technicians better? Uh, you know, I think there's all sorts of resources out there that we can take a look at. And uh, I would um, also want to point with the great work that uh, NAFTA is doing these days uh, in uh, promoting and advocating for technicians and they can be as a resource as well. No, I, I love it. I, I'll tell you sort of in, in my own practice, things I've found to be helpful just for, for doctors who are, who are, they're scared of give, of, of letting go of the reins or saying, this is how it's always worked. And I don't know about changing it. Um, 
pilot programs with your friend. I think, you know, just saying, hey, let's let's try this for a little while and see sort of how it goes and then we'll reassess. I think that's a good way of, of starting to give your technicians more space in a way that the doctors can kind of go, okay, well, we're all going to, we're going to try this and we're going to, we're going to work with it. I, I think that that's, I think that that's good. I really love what you said about talking to your technicians. I think this is a collaborative experience and sort of say, what is your, what are your interests and how do you see engaging in this system? And, and I just think that that's such a healthy way to do it. And the last thing I sort of say is, you know, um, everybody needs, if we're going to make changes the way we practice, everybody needs to kind of know what the goal is and feel safe. And so, yeah, a lot of times what happens is uh, I would say sit down and kind of figure out how the doctors and technicians might work together in your practice in a way that would that would be mutually beneficial. And then step back and say, great, that's where we want to go. What are the steps between now and there so that everybody feels comfortable and everybody's trained and everybody's on the same page? And and how do we break those steps up and how do we put them on the calendar? And how do we slowly over the course of a year start to move in this direction again so you moving in a in a methodical way and you're supporting people who are taking on new things and this is the part a lot of people miss how are you supporting the doctors who are giving things up because they often struggle a lot too and so uh i i, I feel like this is a gradual process but but i love that you say talk to the text i think that communication is absolutely key but anyway it's just something i've been thinking a lot about and sort of been working on in my own business recently so anyway Hey, Ken, thank you so, so much for being here. Where can people, where can people find you? Uh, where can they learn more about, uh, about veg and NAFTA? Uh, for NAFTA, it's, uh, NAVTA.net is the website. Uh, veg is, uh, VEG.com. Um, I am also on LinkedIn, um, Instagram and Facebook or something like that. I post regularly. So would love to see a lot, uh, more of you, um, having some of these conversations. I put out questions, uh, related to the profession out there all the time now. So cool. Awesome. Thanks for being here, buddy. Guys, take care of yourselves. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, uh, thanks for being here. Be well. And that's our episode guys. Thanks for being here. Thanks to Ken Yagi for uh, coming on and sharing his wisdom. If you enjoyed this episode, if you got something out of it, go ahead and leave me an honest review wherever you get your podcast. That means the world to me. Share it with your friends. It's also how people find the show. Anyway, that's it from me, gang. Take care of yourselves. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.